0: Whitney, I'm Danielle, and we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your
1: thoughts into things and manifesting your reality.
0: We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the
1: world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn
0: our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life.
1: Today, we're joined by Stephanie Seneff, a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, to discuss the harm caused by glyphosate, also known as Roundup. She uses her unique educational background that combines nutrition science, biology, and engineering to raise awareness of the lasting impacts of glyphosate on our bodies, our health, and the earth. In her newest book, Toxic Legacy, Stephanie writes, one of the most insidious toxic exposures affecting virtually everything we humans depend upon for maintenance of biological homeostasis, the food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the microbes that work so hard for us, and the minerals we require is glyphosate. While this topic can feel discouraging and sometimes overwhelming, I know in this episode I definitely start to feel that way, this conversation is really meant to empower you with knowledge. To live a more informed life and reconsider your choices when it comes to consumption and nutritional habits. So we hope you enjoy this insightful and quite deep and dense episode. And please join us in welcoming Stephanie Senef. Well, Stephanie, we are so excited to have you on the Sakara Life podcast today. We like to start every episode of our podcast with the same question, which is: what is your mission here on Earth?
2: Yes, a great question. And I guess it is really to uh, make sure that the next generation is healthy enough to keep us, to move us forward and to keep the earth sacred and and healthy itself, to to maintain a healthy environment and healthy human beings so that we can be productive. And our children, our grandchildren can be productive when they grow up and take over where we've left off. So that's my main mission. I think, um, I started really in 2008 with my concern about the autism epidemic. That was the thing that was catching my eye. Rates were going up every year. They were saying, oh, it's genetics. You know, it was being dismissed. It wasn't something we needed to figure out. It was just happening and it was just going up and that was the way things were. So that didn't make any sense to me. And I really wanted to figure out what was causing it. And it took me five years of searching before I came upon my answer, which is glyphosate. And I realized that glyphosate wasn't only causing autism that it's also causing all the other diseases that were it's causing the epidemic and so many diseases that we face today all the disruption of the gut microbiome and the liver disease and the kidney disease the alzheimer's you know the uh, cancers pancreatic cancer i mean there's a huge list of diseases that are going up dramatically in step with the rise in glyphosate usage and um, we've been assured that glyphosate is perfectly safe and it's pervasive in our environment. And The government doesn't bother to test how much is in the food. And this is a huge crisis, in my opinion.
0: It's the modern day silent spring.
2: Right, exactly. Yes.
0: And can you tell us, how did
1: you get into this? And so you said it took five years of research. What, what was going on in those five years? Can you tell the listeners, what do you do and how did you discover this?
2: Right. Well, I was looking at autism. I was looking at toxic um, elements in the environment, the plastics, the lead, the mercury, mercury in the teeth, you know, in the fillings, the vaccines. I think the main factor is glyphosate. I wasn't looking at glyphosate at all because glyphosate safe. And it really was just happened to be fortuitous that I was at a conference in 2012 where Dr. Hubert presented a two-hour presentation on glyphosate. And walking in, I didn't know what glyphosate was. Of course, I knew what Roundup was, and I've never used it because I don't, you know, I try to avoid toxic chemicals in my personal life. But he made it very clear, Don Huber, he made it very clear that glyphosate was causing a lot of problems that I knew were linked to autism because I had studied autism pretty carefully by that point. And it fit so beautifully that I was very confident at the end of those two hours that I had found my answer. And I then went home and learned everything I could about glyphosate, and the more I learned the more concerned I got. And I realized then that it was this big, huge mushroom (laughs) problem that we really need to confront. I mean, I feel right now that we need to move towards the goal as soon as possible of banning glyphosate worldwide. That's how much I feel it needs to disappear. We need to ban the manufacture of glyphosate.
0: And it's so interesting to me because you are a computer scientist at MIT and you work in the artificial intelligence lab, is that correct?
2: Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, CSAIL, yes.
0: How, you know, I could imagine someone like Dr. Hyman or, I don't know, somebody studying agriculture and how it overlaps with nutrition doing this deep dive into glyphosate and its effects. How are you studying things like autism? Like, is that something you're doing at MIT in the Artificial Intelligence Laboratory?
2: Interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'm very fortunate because I had been funded by a computer company in Taiwan, Quanta Computers. I've been funded by them for probably close to 20 years. And um, I was doing work on, originally before 2008, I was doing work on developing language-based computer games, spoken language-based computer games to help an English speaking person learn Chinese. So it was playing cards, talking to the computer to play the card game and learning Chinese in the process. I kind of really liked that. I liked the concept and I had students I was supervising. I was very happy doing that work, thought it had a lot of potential. But with the autism thing, I just got rather obsessed, I would say. (laughs) And luckily, I was able to just kind of make a proposal for a a very big switch the next year. I just gave the same company, I said, this is what I want to do now, which was to study autism and to try to figure out environmental factors that might be causing autism. And they said, fine, no problem. So It was lucky that they were also getting interested in medicine and health at the same time. So that was very fortuitous that they're they're working on building platforms for helping remote health services through video and things like that, which has been a booming field. They were moving into that space at the time. They've been funding me every year since then for that same project.
0: That's so interesting. So can you give us and, and the listeners kind of a glyphosate 101? What is it exactly?
2: Okay. Yeah. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide roundup, which most people know. Many people use it on their lawns to control the weeds in their walkways or the dandelions. Most people consider it to be harmless to humans, I would say. Don't need to wear protective gear when you use it. Most people have no idea that it's all over the food supply. So government's not testing, but Canadian government was actually, I have a friend from in Canada, his name is Tony Mitra, and he's been bugging his government for years to test vaccine, they finally decided to do it on his pressure and they gave all the data to him. And he wrote a book called Poison Foods of North America, where he has all the results of their tests on something like 8,000 food samples. And it's quite disturbing because they showed they were getting Canadian foods and imports from Europe, from Mexico, from the U.S. consistently Canadian and U.S. foods were testing uh, significantly higher than Europe or Mexico. Mexico was coming in right there with Europe, about the same level as Europe and significantly lower than US and Canada.
0: Was that recently?
2: Yeah, I think that, I think it was done a few years ago, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, And they found sky high levels in surprising places because people think, oh, non GMO, that's safe. And that's not true at all. In fact, the highest levels were found in non GMO foods like oats and wheat and barley and Garbanzo beans, chickpeas, you know, hummus, for example, sky high levels, highest levels were showing up in these foods that are non GMO sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate. So that was a real uh, shocker for me when I found out that wheat was being sprayed right before harvest.
1: Isn't it used also as a drying agent? Not just as a, an herbicide, but the desiccant. Also- that's right. It's not
2: being used to kill the wheat. It's being used to kill the crop a desi, so it dries it out and it forces any crop that's going to go to seed forces it to go to seed which synchronizes the yield synchronizes so all the things go to seed at the same time right after they got hit with glyphosate which increases the yield because you sort of harvest at one time you know some stuff's not quite ready yet some of it's already too ripe but you can get it all at once at the same time by spraying the whole thing with glyphosate right before the harvest
0: okay. right And you can imagine like, you know, they have to use these big machines to harvest. And so if you harvest something like the wheat too early, it like gums up the machine. So Right. And
2: drying it out is helpful too. And uh, it makes it much easier to clear the crop for the next year. They also, uh, these crops, many of these crops are used in the biofuel industry. This is something I've become concerned with lately. I learned all about biofuels. When COVID first hit, I started looking into biofuels. And uh, quite disturbing because like, for example, they'll harvest the wheat and then they'll take the stubble and they'll throw it on a barge, take it down to New York City, run it through a processing plant and outcomes, you know, biodiesel, biogas, bioethanol, all these biofuels that are then used in the vehicles, driving on the streets, in the airplanes.
0: So then we get to eat it and breathe it now. And breathe
2: it, yes. And in fact, I was, you know, I suspected it was escaping combustion. If it got to the combustion, it would be broken down but it can evaporate before it gets to combustion. And then it ends up in the nanoparticles in the air. And in fact, Brazil did a study very recently, I think 2020, where they looked at uh, levels of glyphosate in the nanoparticles in the air, in in the areas of agriculture where they were spraying glyphosate, and in the nearby city. And they found almost the same levels in the city as there were in the places where the crops were being grown which was really surprising, but I suspect Brazil is a leader in the biofuels industry. They They use a lot of biodiesel. They have these trucks that run on practically pure biodiesel, and they get it from sugarcane that's sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate.
1: And you would think that biodiesel would be healthier... For our planet, healthier for the environment than oil-based. I know that's what's so disturbing
2: because they've been actually really accelerating. You know, we're into all this climate change problem, and there's a big pressure to get out of the um, not using fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And people get credit for biofuel as a to offset the fossil fuels.
1: But it needs to be organic.
2: Biofuel. <laughs> well, that's right, and they're not doing that at all. And of course, they're thinking, well, nobody's going to eat this, so it's fine. If you probably don't even have any kind of restrictions because it's not being eaten.
0: Right.
2: To worry about how much glyphosate is being used.
0: And for everyone listening, so glyphosate is an herbicide. Just to bring it back for people, and how much of it is is used? I hear it's like the number one used right. chemical in the world.
2: It's certainly the number one herbicide, I think by far, the most used herbicide on the planet. The United States uses more per person than any other country. We consume 19% of the world's glyphosate with only 4% of the world's population, just to get a sense.
0: Could you talk exactly like how glyphosate does to kill the plant, like how it acts as an herbicide, and then we can connect it to That's how right. it acts on the body?
2: That would be good, actually, because there's a, a particular enzyme in the shikimate pathway, which is a famous biological pathway that occurs in all plants, many microbes, but not in humans. So humans don't have this pathway at all. Any of the enzymes in this pathway, we don't have them, which is a reason why they argue that it's safe for us because it doesn't. We don't have the enzyme that it affects, and they've zeroed on in on this one enzyme called EPSP synthase, which is a critical enzyme in that pathway. So the plants have it, and the microbes in our gut have it. like 54 percent of the microbes in our gut have this pathway. And they use it to make really critical nutrients that our own cells can't make. They can't make them because they don't have that pathway. And so those nutrients are the aromatic amino acids, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. And those amino acids are basic, you know, they're three of the 20 coding amino acids that go into all the protein. The proteins are the workhorses of the body. So when they become deficient, there's a lot of issues with protein synthesis, but they're also precursors to incredibly important biologically active molecules, such as the neurotransmitters, serotonin, melatonin, the skin tanning agent, melanin, dopamine, epinephrine, which, you know, is um, the adrenaline rush, right? Epinephrine, thyroid hormone, various B vitamins vitamin K. So there's many, many nutrients that come out of that pathway that are going to be deficient because of the microbes and the plants also being disrupted by glyphosate. So part of the problem is these deficiencies, these core nutritional deficiencies that then propagate into lots of health problems.
0: Wow. <laughs> what, what, what do we do? I mean, are you, are you scared? Are you terrified? Are you hopeful?
2: I think that humans are going to, there's a chance that we're going to basically wipe out all life on Earth. And I'm hoping that we don't. And I'm hoping that we wipe ourselves out before we wipe out all the rest of the species so that there will still be life left after we're gone. Especially, I'm hoping that we will wake up and realize that we can't keep doing this. We just have to stop. And I think we need to, more than that, not just glyphosate, but all herbicides, all insecticides, all fungicides need to be stopped. And we need to start growing food organically, sustainably, renewably. We need to really focus on, I mean, I wish the government would just call a halt to all of it and say, like, we're going to start investing lots of money in anybody who has any good ideas about how to fix the soil, how to grow crops organically, efficiently, you know, economically, robotic weed control. I mean, there are so many things that we could be doing. And that we would be doing more if there was money to support it. And the government is just doing everything wrong because they continue to support this, this toxic agriculture, these massive, cheap farms that just spray all these toxic chemicals in order to produce cheap food. And that is just a very foolish, foolish way to go about supplying right. our needs. And we're trading off. You know, U.S. has the cheapest food. When you look at our income, we spend the least amount of our income on food compared to almost any country in the world. And we spend by far the most on healthcare costs of any country in the world. Those two are directly connected because our food is not nutritious. It's poisonous. It it doesn't have enough nutrients. To find
1: cheap.
0: (laughs) Paying with your life.
2: Exactly. If we would just Mm. spend more money on food and get the quality food that will nourish us well, then we would get rid of any of these health conditions that we're struggling with.
0: And I hear oftentimes when people speak out on the importance of moving away from herbicides, pesticides, and genetically modified crops, that the yields will be less. And you know, in my imagining, and I'm not an expert on this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but we can't have these big monocrops and huge agricultural efforts. It has to go back to your own farm and small farms and regenerative agriculture. And then the yields will go back to not only being better but much more nutritious. Right, so when you say to get rid of all of these things is is that how like I guess it, I can imagine people wondering, well, why were they created in the first place?
2: Right. I mean, when they first introduced they thought glyphosate was a wonderful thing because they would, had been using herbicides that are considered to be more toxic than glyphosate, and then when they figured out how to do the GMO engineering where they could make the plant resistant to glyphosate, then they could spray it all over the plant and it wouldn't die, the crop wouldn't die, so it made it very easy to control the weeds overlooking the fact that it's poisonous to anybody who gets it, you know, who, who
0: eats it. I don't know. I'm just sitting here shaking my <laughs> head because there's nothing else to do. It's like it's where did where did we come up with this idea that we can like bioengineer our way out of Mother Nature? I know. I know. It's so sad, isn't it? And the thing I was going
2: to say is that the yield initially the yield was very impressive when they first started using the glyphosate. And, of course, what happened very quickly over time, two things. One is that the glyphosate wrecked the soil microbiome, just like it wrecks the gut. It depleted the minerals in the soil. It caused soil erosion because the soil lost the organic matter because it was being killed by the glyphosate. You know, The microbes were affected. The earthworms develop a paralytic syndrome that's a lot like Parkinson's disease. So the, the worms can't do their job either. And so the soil gets worse and worse. And then it starts eroding. You get a lot of, you get rain and a lot of the topsoil washes off. So the soil becomes less and less nutritious over time. It really gets wrecked by the glyphosate. The glyphosate actually accumulates. They did a study in Brazil where they found at a place where they were using glyphosate every year. They found that every year there was more in the soil than there was the year before. Monsanto says it goes away after two weeks. But they were finding otherwise that it was accumulating in the soil. So the soil gets worse and worse. Then the yield starts going down. Eventually, there's a crossover point. Meanwhile, the weeds become resistant. So you have to use more and more glyphosate every year. That's one of the reasons why it was going up dramatically. It's been going up the usage exponentially over time as the weeds become smart. So you have to use more to kill them. So you're getting more and more toxic exposures and uh, worse and worse soil. And then the plants themselves become less resistant to the insects, less resistant to the fungus. You get a lot of fungus problems with plants that we're seeing today as a consequence of weakening their immune ability to control fungus and insects. So uh, glyphosate hurts the immune system, the innate immune system, in a big way. That's one thing I talked about in a chapter in my book, Glyphosate, uh, Book Toxic Legacy.
1: It really reminds me of my experience being put on antibiotics. So, mm-hmm. in my skin journey with cystic acne, I was put on so many different types of antibiotics, rounds and rounds. You know, everything from tetracycline to Z mm-hmm. and it really did a number on my immune system. Right, and it's similar in the same way. It's like we're putting antibiotics onto yes. our plants in a way.
2: Well, absolutely. In fact, it is exactly that. In fact, glyphosate is an antimicrobial agent. They've even patented as an a- antimicrobial agent. And studies have shown that certain of the pathogens in our gut become resistant to other antibiotics by c- as a consequence of a low-dose exposure to glyphosate And I suspect that glyphosate may be a major player in the emergence of all these antibiotic resistant, you know, multiple antibiotic resistant species like MRSA, some really Mm -hmm. nasty uh, pseudomonas aeruginosa. There's some really nasty microbes that are becoming resistant to all the antibiotics. People are dying because they get in the hospital and they catch one of these, they get infected with one of these microbes and you can't kill it, you know. Yeah. None of the antibiotics work.
1: But I never thought about it as the same way that it reduces our immune system. Overusage of antibiotics reduces the human immune system. Same with Mother Earth, same with the soils that were hurting her immune system and her innate ability to defend and thrive, essentially, with using these herbicides and antimicrobials.
0: But it's also crazy because there's, it's not as if, you know, the US is using so much. So yes, we we might be exposed to more, but there's no escaping it, right? Like it's everywhere. That's
2: It's really frustrating. You really cannot avoid glyphosate. If you live in the United States, it's just about impossible to fully avoid it. I certainly only buy organic, certified organic when I shop at the grocery store. And I'm pleased to see how much certified organic is now available in the Boston area, for example. Many of the grocery stores have Large selection of certified organic foods, a growing selection, I should say, even, which is encouraging.
0: and now for a quick break we wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about one of our sakara products the foundation which is a packet of your daily essential supplements all sakarafied so to speak meaning completely clean plant-based bioavailable and coming from whole food sources lots of times people think that Supplements are just pills that you take, but really you should use the same level of scrutiny and standards that you would for your food. So these supplements are not only incredibly effective, but also incredibly clean. After taking them just for a couple weeks, you'll feel increased energy, better digestion, more restful deep sleep, brain clarity... And boosted immunity. And we like to think of this as our nutritional insurance. So yes, first and foremost, you want to get your nutrients from the foods that you eat every single day. But if you are a Sakharalite, which we know you are, since you're listening, you know that we believe in eating clean and playing dirty, that none of us are perfect, nor would we want to be sometimes life gets in the way. And even though I get Saqqara food delivered to me every week, some weeks I just don't eat as well as I wish I, I could have. And so this is a great way to make sure you're getting all of the essential nutrients you need to feel and look your best. And for all of you Saqqara lights out there right now, we're gifting you $15 to use towards your first purchase of the foundation. Just use podcast 15 at checkout on sakara.com and we put a lot of love and work into creating these supplements over the past three years at least so we hope that you love them just as much as we do enjoy let's get back to the episode
1: And I know there are actual tests where you can test yourself for glyphosate. I think they're usually urine tests. I have never done one, but I, I think they're fascinating. Mm-hmm. Have you tried those before? Do they work?
2: Yes. I confess that I did do a urine test and I was positive. I was really shocked because I've been eating certified organic for a long time and I did have, you know, relatively low level, but not zero. And so where I had been quite careful, maybe because right, it air. comes
1: in your water, it comes in the air. Yes, it's really, uh, and even in the organic In supplements. Food. Right, there's a worry about we, that. We test our supplements for glyphosate, but many don't.
2: Yes, I, I think that's an important question as to what extent it's in supplements. In fact, I even wrote a paper together with colleagues proposing, it was a hypothesis that glyphosate contamination in drugs, injectable drugs, mm. could be a causal factor in some really strange adverse uh, reactions that people were having to those drugs. That was a really fascinating uh, study that we did on the, looking at the drug side effect database online from the U.S. government. Wow. And we zeroed in on the drugs that are for wh- whom death as a side effect was the title of our paper, oh, death wow. as a side effect, because we were looking at drugs that for which death was a strong side effect and it was going up over time. Instead of a rise in glyphosate usage and we determined how those drugs were manufactured. And it seemed clear to us that you could expect glyphosate contamination given the way they were manufactured.
1: And this is why I think that nutrition science is so interesting, because there are so many different factors that go into it. You know, there can be studies done on eating a plant-based diet, but if it's not an organic plant-based diet, then you're not getting the same results. And People can say, oh, I, you know, I tried being vegan. It wasn't healthy. And, you know, well, were you eating organic? And for me, Danielle and I are both plant-based in a sense of we base our diet on plants, but we don't only consume plants. But for me, I can feel the difference in my body when I'm eating conventional versus organic. If I go out and I eat a big kale salad and it's conventional, I get very bloated compared to if it's an organic kale salad. And I think about, you know, we offer a level two detox program, which doesn't contain any type of sweeteners, no fruits, no grains. It's, It's a pretty big challenge for a lot of people. But with that, it goes in and it reduces the microbes and fungus, things like candida that feed on those types of foods in your gut and through that, people often experience die-off mm-hmm. symptoms.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: they get some bloating, they get some fatigue and things like that while they're doing it. They feel mm-hmm. much better after that while they're doing it. And I was thinking, maybe it's you know when eating these conventional produce that is grown with these herbicides, pesticides, that it goes in and perhaps it's killing some bugs in my gut, and that's producing this die-off effect giving me bloat but this is just an assumption i don't have the science behind that
2: no that's very interesting actually you know many uh, leafy green vegetables are very healthy and they have a lot of and of course herbs you know spices they have a lot of really special molecules that are actually derivatives of the shikame pathway that same pathway produces these benzene rings that are the core component of these molecules that are so fascinating terpenoids and flavonoids you know you've probably heard these terms that are present in herbs and, uh, and green vegetables, those are really interesting molecules that actually facilitate mitochondrial function, the production of ATP. They're quite magical with respect to mobilizing electrons and allowing things to work out. I suspect they may also facilitate the production of these gases. Normally, the gases in the gut, they make hydrogen gas and then they turn it into methane and then the methane becomes methanol and formates, so There's all these chemical reactions that take place, biochemical reactions with the gut microbes. There's a stage of turning it into hydrogen gas that's very important for producing deuterium depleted hydrogen. And I've become very, very fascinated with deuterium. I just want to mention that here because I'd like people to be aware of deuterium. That's heavy hydrogen. And when the microbes make hydrogen gas, they leave deuterium behind in the liquid form the hydrogen preferentially escapes into the gas because it's lighter, because it doesn't bind as strongly to what's still left behind in the liquid. So that hydrogen gas has very low deuterium. And then that hydrogen gas gets brought back into organic matter with other microbes to make the methane, methane is CH4, so carbon plus four hydrogens that came from that hydrogen gas and methane and then all those other things. So those enzymes, and I wrote about it in my book, those enzymes that... Bring that hydrogen gas back into organic matter, and get suppressed by glyphosate. So you get the bloating because those enzymes are suppressed and you end up with too much gas because it's not efficiently being brought back into very healthy organic matter that's low in deuterium.
0: Wow. Quite
2: fascinating science.
0: Wow. I
2: don't know if that made sense to no, you, but it that's really
0: neat. Yeah. Makes perfect sense and it's perfectly terrifying.
1: The headline on this episode is going to be non-organic foods cause bloating. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) And so I guess glyphosate is going to be reformulated. Is that correct for consumer consumption? Yes. Does that make you happy or is it just going to be the next toxic version? I
2: know. I'm sure they'll put something else in there that's also a toxic chemical. So I don't know what that will be. And it probably... Won't be any better. I mean, they're all really bad. Atrazine has a, you know, a lot of problems, reproductive issues and and endocrine disruptor. Atrazine is very toxic. It's turning male frogs into females, for example. And then glufosinate, you know, it's also very toxic. All the, all the herbicides are toxic. There's not a single one that I would recommend. And I'm sure that Monsanto doesn't plan to produce an organic or, or version around it, but they don't plan to eliminate it. So I think they're going to come up with some formula that's not glyphosate, but it's not really any better. I mean, I'm happy to see the glyphosate out of the residential use, but I don't know whether I suspect that whatever is put in its place is equally bad.
0: And do you have any thoughts since you've been studying monocrops like wheat, et cetera, on things like... Gluten. I know some people think that maybe gluten insensitivity is actually born out of things like glyphosate and other herbicides and pesticides that are just, as you said, sprayed on wheat post harvest. What are your thoughts on, on that? Sprayed pre harvest. Pre harvest, yes. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think gluten intolerance is glyphosate intolerance. I think it's the same thing. And in fact, I have another paper that I wrote together with Anthony Samso on exactly that topic that glyphosate contamination in the wheat. Is what I believe is the cause of the epidemic we're seeing in gluten intolerance. People had it before glyphosate, but the gluten intolerance uh, celiac disease is actually going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on wheat. It matches much better with the usage on wheat than it does with the usage on corn, for example. So that really points to you know correlation doesn't always mean causation. They always remind me of that, but it's quite striking that correlation with the usage on wheat. So I think glyphosate is contaminant in the wheat. And it's disrupting the um, the gluten is one of the proteins that are difficult to break down. They're difficult to digest because they have a lot of proline, and proline is a, an amino acid that is a bit stubborn about breaking apart from the others. And so there are specialized enzymes that that break it apart, and those enzymes are expressed by uh, lactobacillus. Lactobacillus has a suite of enzymes that they can use to break down proline. And lactobacillus is hit hard by glyphosate, in part because of the shikimate pathway, also because they really depend on manganese for detox. And manganese gets severely chelated by glyphosate, so it becomes unavailable to the lactobacillus. And studies have shown that lactobacillus is very sensitive to glyphosate. So the lactobacillus are a really important microbe in your gut. For milk also, of course, and the casein problem is related. Casein and gluten both have lots of proline both depend upon lactobacillus to help out with the digestion. Lactobacillus gets killed by glyphosate enzymes then are not available to break down those proteins. So when you get those undigested gluten sequences that are sticking around, they become immune reactive. The immune system responds to them as foreign proteins and develops antibodies. And then those antibodies start attacking your own tissues through a process called molecular mimicry. Because the Peptide sequence resembles a peptide sequence in a human protein.
0: And throughout your book, you talk about how glyphosate actually becomes a part of our tissue, the tissues of us and other animals, et cetera. Can you talk more about that? Because it sounds very scary.
2: I think that's the most critical thing about glyphosate. And that was the, really the centerpiece of my book is this concept that it's a theory that glyphosate is substituting for the amino acid glycine during protein synthesis. Wow. This is really, really crucial if it's true. And I feel very strongly that it's true. I mean... The industry is saying it's not possible. So we have a bit of a just talk about, you know, polarization.
0: Wow. (laughs) If that's true, that's... I mean, I hear what you're saying when you say all life on earth is in jeopardy. jeopardy.
2: So if this is true, and so in my book, I talk about what I call a glyphosate susceptibility motif, which I learned from the EPSP synthase. EPSP synthase has a highly conserved glycine at the place that where glyphosate disrupts it. They understand that it disrupts this phosphate binding at that particular site where this glycine residue is. They know if you get rid of that glycine and replace it with alanine, which is a minimal change, the protein becomes completely insensitive. To glyphosate. So that's a really strong hint that the way it's affecting is by substituting for that glycine. As soon as it's alanine, you can't substitute it anymore because the code doesn't match. So it's very sort of elegantly simple, really, wow. the story that makes a tremendous amount of sense and that is totally consistent with what they're observing. And once you say that, then you can look for other proteins that also bind phosphate at a place where glycine is also conserved. And you can come up with a whole list of proteins, which I talk about in my book. And when you look at those proteins and you say, supposing they were disrupted by glyphosate, what would it cause? And you can see that it would cause diabetes, obesity, liver disease, you know, autism, Alzheimer's, all these things that we're seeing can be explained by specific proteins that could be predicted to be affected by glyphosate in this way. And then I found several papers that talked about specific proteins that have been shown experimentally to be suppressed by glyphosate. And those proteins often have this susceptibility motif. So it, it all is a bunch of dots that you're connecting to make the full story. It's quite amazing science. It really is spectacular biology. But if it's true, then it's it's horrendous. You know, it's, it's mind-bogglingly horrendous <laughs> in terms of the consequences yeah. over the long term. Yeah,
0: and you spoke to autism, but what are, and I know you talk about this in your book, what are some of the other... Syndromes or diseases that you think I know there's probably if if what you just said is true, it's endless. But what are you know you'd say the top three? Yeah,
2: it's hard to say the top three, but diabetes and obesity really stand out, right? Both of those are going up dramatically, exactly in step with glyphosate usage. The obesity is quite clear to me that it's related to uh, impaired metabolism of fats, and there's probably several things that glyphosate is doing. One is to affect the bile acids. The bile acids are needed to digest fats. And the cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver as a class have been shown experimentally to be suppressed by glyphosate. Those enzymes are necessary to make the bile acids. So that's one thing. The bile acids don't, uh, are not in the adequate supply to break down the fats. And then another really critical thing that I suspect is happening is suppression of an enzyme called PEPCK, phosphoenol pyruvate carboxykinase. That enzyme is crucial for gluconeogenesis, which is the conversion of other nutrients into sugar. And this is what you need to do when the blood sugar gets low. Gluconeogenesis kicks in in the liver and it starts making sugar out of other nutrients, including out of fats. So that's a process of converting fats into sugar and releasing them into the blood to maintain enough sugar to feed the brain because you're going to a coma if your sugar gets too low. And this PEPCK deficiency is associated with a lot of conditions that are going up these days in step of the rise in glyphosate usage. So this all makes sense if you assume glyphosate suppressing PEPCK. Really, really important liver enzyme. And when it's suppressed, you will get fatty liver disease And fatty liver disease is one of the diseases that's going up. This is the steatohepatitis. Eventually, you can get into cirrhosis and liver cancer, lots of nasty things. The liver can basically, you will need a liver transplant to survive eventually as this progresses. We're seeing fatty liver disease younger and younger. People are getting diagnosed with fatty liver disease. It's because if this PEPCK is suppressed, then the fats pile up because it cannot be converted into sugar. And also because it's a threat for blood sugar being too low the body adjusts the set point to have a higher level of sugar in the blood constantly for fear that it's going to drop too low and won't be able to recover quickly. That's how you get this elevated blood sugar that eventually becomes diabetes.
0: Right. It's so important that people understand that it's insulin resistance that we're talking about. It's actually not just Mm -hmm. spiking your blood sugar. It's the mechanism that keeps your blood sugar stable that's at risk.
1: Right. And so all of this sounds kind of terrifying <laughs> i mean we're exposed to glyphosate all the time whether we want to be or not you know we just talked about how i know, it's, it's in the air we can't avoid it yeah and so what can we do about it are there certain things that we can do to detox the glyphosate out of our systems or are there different types of enzyme supplements or things that we should be taking in order to support where glyphosate breaks down those systems and pathways in our body what do you think? Well, one thing I would like
2: to say is to eat a lot of sulfur-containing foods.
1: Because uh, in my
2: book, I identify sulfate as a critical issue. Deficiencies well, in sulfate.
1: Well, that's good because at Sakara, it's one of our pillars of nutrition, sulfur-rich vegetables, and you get them in your meals exactly. every day.
2: Vociferous vegetables, garlic, onions, absolutely. Cabbage is fantastic, especially fermented cabbage, you know sauerkraut. There was a study on cows that were, they were sick, they had high levels of glyphosate in their urine. They treated them with sauerkraut juice and then also organic matter from the soil, humic acid and fulvic acid and bentonite clay. They used those as treatments and they showed after treatments that the cows got, their health improved and their glyphosate levels in their urine went down. So sauerkraut juice is really interesting. I'm suspecting also apple cider vinegar various fermented foods, because the fermented foods have acetylbacter in them. And acetylbacter are among the very few microbes that have been identified as being able to break down glyphosate enzymatically. So I'm hoping that if you eat fermented foods, you are supplying yourself with microbes that can break glyphosate down, which would be, I think, once you can get colony in your gut of microbes that can break down glyphosate, you're much better off with respect to the amount of glyphosate poisoning you're going to be subjected to.
1: Wow. And then can you go back and explain about the sulfur-rich vegetables, why it's important? Yes, the
2: sulfate is, that's a big part of my book. And it's, of course, a lot of complicated biochemistry, quite fascinating. But when I started looking at this problem with the glycine substitution of glyphosate, it becomes very clear that there are many, many enzymes. And first of all, there's sulfate carriers, and that's including these products of the chicken mate pathway that I mentioned earlier, tryptophan, tyrosine, phenylalanine. They're all sulfated. Serotonin, for example, is produced in large quantities in the gut from tryptophan, Mm -hmm. and tryptophan is the thing that gets blocked by the chicken-mate pathway not working, so you don't have enough serotonin, and then the enzyme that puts the sulfate onto the serotonin also likely gets disrupted by glyphosate. And you need to have serotonin sulfate in order to ship it out to the brain and supply the brain the serotonin, which is so important for brain health, both for depression, anxiety, um, anger, you know, sort of. um.
1: Wow. So glyphosate is not just affecting the health of our bodies, our insulin resistance, all of these different types of things, but also our mental health, our mood, happiness.
2: Absolutely. I think that's really critical. These All these hormones are coming out of that shikimate pathway that is getting blocked. And also the enzymes that supply NAD, which is essential. Well, NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, NAD, very, very important in metabolism.
1: People talk about that for anti aging a lot, NAD.
2: Yes, exactly. That's right. And that one comes out of the shikimate pathway, so it's going to be deficient. But even the enzymes are involved in using NAD for the various reactions that take place. The binding site to NAD typically has three highly conserved glycines, and it's a phosphate binding site. So it fits my glyphosate susceptibility motif. And it's been shown that some of these enzymes that bind NAD are suppressed by glyphosate. There's glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, which is really essential for maintaining glutathione in its Mm. reduced form. Glutathione is a super important antioxidant in the liver. Glyphosate's been shown to deplete glutathione and also to increase the ratio of oxidized to reduced, meaning that the the process of maintaining glutathione in its reduced state is disrupted by glyphosate. And it's probably through these problems with NAD that that happens also with the phosphate binding problems, So there's just a horrendous number of enzymes that are super important in metabolism that are going to affect the mitochondria. So you're going to have dysfunctional mitochondria. You can't make enough energy. It's going to feel fatigued, you know, not enough energy. Also, mitochondria release reactive oxygen species because of these disruptions that endangers the cell and can eventually lead lead to cancer.
1: Wow. And can I take supplements for this? Can I supplement with NAD? Can I supplement glutathione? Will that help?
2: Right. I think a lot of people are doing a liposomal glutathione, which is probably good. I would recommend anacetylcysteine, which is a precursor to glutathione and also glycine. Cysteine and glycine and glutamate are the three amino acids in glutathione. And I suspect that it's the glycine and the cysteine that are in short supply because of glyphosate. You know, Glyphosate could even substitute for the glycine in glutathione, which would really mess it up.
1: Wow.
2: Methionine is the Core sulfur-containing amino acid that is made by the gut microbes using enzymes that have been shown to be suppressed by glyphosate. So the gut microbiome becomes deficient in its ability to convert inorganic sulfur into organic sulfur. And the organic sulfur is the cysteine, the thionine, taurine, these are the sulfur-containing amino acids that are really, really important for your health and that eventually become sulfate. And sulfate is super, super important for lots and lots of things. Sulfate deficiency is linked to autism and also to Alzheimer's disease and many other diseases, probably circulation problems. Lots of problems relate to sulfate deficiency, which most people are unaware of. And the whole system that is sort of supplying the sulfate is broken at many steps along the way by glyphosate.
0: So all of this probably is so overwhelming for anyone listening because it's overwhelming for me and I knew much of this, not to the detail you're speaking, but... So I know we've talked about some things that we can do, but what do you personally make sure you always do? Like what are the things that are your non-negotiables?
2: So certified organic food. When I shop at the grocery store, always buy that. Occasionally I cheat. I go to a restaurant and (laughs) there's nothing organic. I, I pick and choose to try to pick the most optimal thing in those circumstances. Sunlight. I want to mention sunlight. I really am a great believer in sunlight exposure to the eyes and to the skin. No sunglasses, no sunscreen. Straight up sun, I think it's crucial. And sunlight, it's not just about vitamin D. And so um, I believe in getting your vitamin D from sunlight exposure. And you're you're not just getting vitamin D, you're also getting cholesterol sulfate, which is super important for supplying both cholesterol and sulfate to the body, to all the organisms and all of the organs in your body. That's going to be catalyzed by sunlight. So great believer in sunlight. Sunlight to so the eyes goes straight to the pineal gland. Sulfation in the pineal gland is crucial for being able to sleep at night because the melatonin that's produced there is sulfated before it's shipped out. And it's melatonin supplies, both melatonin and sulfate, to the brain while you sleep so that it can clear the garbage. So you need to have really lots of sulfate to be able to clear cellular debris. And part of that debris is glyphosate-contaminated protein. So if you can get your lysosomal systems working well then you can clear glyphosate. So I think one of the most important re- ways to clear glyphosate is to make sure you've got plenty of sulfur and plenty of sun, sulfur and sun, plus the certified organic diet. I like a high fat diet, low carb, and of course, lots and lots of foods that are high density and micronutrients.
0: hmm Oh, Stephanie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't you go work for Monsanto and, <laughs> and come up with, you know, something that will help, you know, big ag at least be happy and not just have to fall off a cliff because we all know that's not going to happen in this capitalist right. society. But I
2: think there may be some hope with, um, with robotics, actually. I have some friends who are, you know, technologists who are finding a technology solution mm. involving a, a robotic tractor that can get fuel from solar panels drives around in the field, it has vision to recognize the weeds, it has laser beam to kill them. I and mean, there's sort of this notion that you could develop technology that would allow these things to go out into the fields and kill the weeds without even involving human labor. So if that could be worked out, it would be for the big farms because the little farms wouldn't be able to afford these things. They'd be too expensive, but maybe that would be an answer for the big ones. Not sure,
0: which is more terrifying, glyphosate or I know. <laughs> robots with lasers. <laughs> I
2: know what you mean. That's like a different kind of danger.
1: Bring in the laser.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are just so grateful for you and the work you're doing to uncover all the science behind why we need to change our ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. This episode would be, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's a gem. I hope not too deep. Yeah. <laughs> I always do get a little bit tied up in the uh, details of the biology because I do love it. It's so fascinating. We love
1: it. We love it. And just going deeper and deeper into it, understanding that it's not just that first surface layer that is affected, but, you know, everything is an ecosystem. Everything is connected. And one part of our body is connected to another part and connected to the earth. So I think you really took us there today. And why it is so important for us to make healthy choices, to choose organic, to care about what goes into our body, that it affects us, it affects our health, and it affects the environment. So thank you so much for that information and helping to spread that word. Thank you so much for having me. She is just so knowledgeable. It's crazy. She's awesome. She could just explain one layer and then the next layer and how it all connects. I've heard lots about why glyphosate is so harmful and dangerous to the body, but she just kept connecting the dots and going further than I've heard anybody ever explain it to me
0: before. Yeah. She went like deep into the mechanisms that like where glyphosate interacts, like on the cellular level to understand. I mean, if what she is saying is true and it replaces glycine in proteins. Like it's it's fundamentally changing our biology. We're becoming GMO. Yeah, we're just becoming we we're, we're everything that we need to do in order to survive and thrive is going to be impossible. If you're not making the proteins that you need, yeah, right. nothing else
1: nothing else works. Right. It's kind of a big deal and how can we even change something this big? Like how, how does that type of change happen? I think it has to come from primarily knowledge. And hopefully this episode will get more of that knowledge out there. People at least becoming aware and knowing that this is a problem that we should be concerned about, but then what, you know, this is something that affects everyone.
0: I think you just have to be so aware of your choices every single day. I mean, We're mostly consumers, right? So what are you consuming? Who are you giving your dollars to? And then, you know, if you happen to be in government or on Capitol Hill or something, there's more kind of strides and bigger changes that you can make. And remember Dr. Hyman's Mm -hmm. book, You Remember the Food Fix. He talks actually about a lot of things you can do on the consumer level to start to make big changes happen. But, you know, one of my biggest takeaways was I'm not crazy. Like, I'm not crazy to not... Enjoy going out. Eat out to at eat. restaurants. Yeah. It's like those choices. Yes, I miss it. And yes, I still go out to eat. You know, I probably go like once a week, but I realize that like it's not as fun as it could be. It's not as enjoyable as it could be because I know not only am I making bad choices for myself, but by participating and supporting those big farms that are using glyphosate and spraying millions of tons of it all over the globe, that I'm supporting them and it sucks to not be able to participate at that level. But I think those are the choices we have to start making. Are you willing to invest in your health? Are you willing to pay a little more for organic? Are you willing to, you know, say no to experiences that you have never thought of as potentially harmful?
1: Well, we were so wrapped up in the conversation with Stephanie that we forgot to ask her for her light work.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs)
1: That's a first. (laughs) I know, that is a first. So, Danielle, you are very in this world with your studying that you're doing, with your own personal beliefs that you bring to Saqqara. Can you give us a light work for this week?
0: What comes to me, without being prepared with, what comes to me is, I don't know, just noticing the ripple effect of our choices I think we can ease so easily have tunnel vision and think that, oh, I'm either eating organic or not. But by making those choices, you have a ripple effect into so many other things. So by choosing organic, you're supporting organic farms, which means more of them will come. I mean, she even said in the podcast today, she's never seen this much organic produce available in, in Boston, Massachusetts. So our choices do have an impact. I guess that's not really light work. Your light work could be,
1: I like your idea of bringing awareness to it. I think often the only time I'm thinking about if something is organic or not is when I'm shopping at the grocery store. Mm. And so I like this idea of just throughout the week bringing awareness to the amount of organic or non-organic in your life. Yeah, that's good light work. And I think about the spices,
0: spices the spices that you put into
1: your food. I think about what I put onto my body and, you know, the herbs and things that are in my body wash. Yeah, supplements I take. And by the way, we test our supplements for glyphosate. Yes, we do. And because that's something I put into my body Every single yeah. day. And so I, if I'm putting it into my body, even at trace amounts, I don't want it to be something that I am consciously doing every day.
0: Right. Like, look, if I'm going on a date night with my husband, sure, but. Eat clean and play dirty. Yeah. It's a make the choice. All right. Going to bring some
1: awareness to it. Just seeing where are things organic? Where are they not organic? Where can I potentially make that shift to bring a little bit more organic into my life? I know it's not avoidable. Glyphosate is not avoidable. And so I'm not going to freak out about it. And I'm not going to let this fear or feeling of doom hang over me. But um, just see where I can make those choices in my life to choose a little bit more organic every day. Great. Bit by bit. And if we all do that together, perhaps we can make the world a bit more organic as a whole.
0: A bit more back to how it's supposed to be back to nature organic is not fancy it's not supposed to be this cool expensive yeah it's supposed to be what we are each entitled to chemical free food as humans
1: right human right life what a concept yeah well with that note i'm gonna go get my sakara life salad Me too that is organic and filled with nutrients and sulfur rich vegetables and polyphenols and flavonoids and all those good things we just talked about. Bye. I'll see you next time. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at com, or send us a DM at Life. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today.
0: And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights.